Welcome to the 47th episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Atoves, and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're back to give our hot takes on our come-from-behind win over UTEP and throw some Hail Mary shots downfield for our listeners to love or hate. Let's get started. Don't call it a comeback. We've beaten UTEP for years. But in all seriousness, it took the biggest comeback in school history to take down UTEP on senior day. The first drive started sluggish and ended with a missed field goal. UTEP responded by punching us in the mouth and scoring 24 unanswered points. On the third touchdown, the UTEP quarterback jogged backwards into the end zone in front of the student section. It was a low moment of the game, but UTEP should have learned from watching North Texas play UTSA that you never start celebrating early against the Roadrunners. It was like the team suddenly woke up and said, you F around and you find out. From that moment on, UTSA outscored UTEP 34-7 34-7 on touchdown passes to Cephas, Franklin, and Ogle Kellogg, a pick-six by Dadrian Taylor, and two clutch field goals from Sackett. UTSA did it the hard way, but for the first time, they ended the regular season undefeated in conference play, and they beat the Texas Triangle, North Texas, Rice, and UTEP. The Roadrunners end the regular season 10-2 and and turn their attention to their second conference championship game. All right, before we get into the discussion on the game, our thoughts go out to Brendan Brady and Gavin Sharp. Absolutely heartbreaking to see their careers at UTSA end with such significant injuries. We wish them both a speedy recovery. It, uh, yeah, I I think um, it was so hard seeing both of them, especially Gavin. Um, You know, that was a terrible injury, but, you know, I think seeing his tears, you know, you just don't want it to end like that. No, absolutely not. Don't have any updates on either one of them at this point. We're recording on Sunday, um, but hopefully by the time this podcast drops, um, we'll have a better idea of what they're looking at in terms of recovery. Absolutely. All right, well, let's get on to the thoughts of the game. Um, So to answer your question on that, let me give you, I guess, where do I start? Because let me give you this first thing. You know, Frank Harris said post-game, and I quote, Like I said, we went out there prosperous. We weren't playing our style of football. It was really embarrassing at first, honestly. But second half, we answered the call, went out there, and executed. Look, the trailer and the team have repeatedly been talking during November just that all these November matchups are going to be UTSA versus desperate teams. Mm -hmm. What do you think caused UTSA to come out feeling prosperous against UTEP? You know, I know Trailer has said several times that he felt like this team could handle the expectations on them, unlike last year when it was new. But clearly, that's not the case. They still play better when they have a chip on their shoulder. They feel like they're being disrespected in some way. Um, And you've got to remember, it's a lot harder to play with the weight of success on your shoulders than it is to have that chip on your shoulder. There aren't a lot of teams that can do that. I mean, if you look, just look at the landscape of college football, outside of Alabama, it's been very hard to find a team that could really sustain that level of success year after year. So it's not a knock against this team. It's just it's something that's new, and it's something that is a challenge for a lot of football programs. And obviously, this is a team that still is learning how to deal with that. I love the way you said that. And just to add a little bit more, you know, we, we've seen that Trailer is an emotional guy. Mm-hmm. And a team usually takes on the persona of, of their coach. And we've kind of talked about it before. And it feels like podcast episodes many, many, many episodes ago. But with this emotion at times, you're right. It, it just gets difficult to be honestly up all the time. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, when you talked about the weight of the sh- shoulders of success, you know, just right there, it, it it hit me that how new it really was. And, you know, you went through and you kind of talked about that a little bit. And, you know, it, it is. It's difficult. You know, we, we can talk about adversity and how people handle adversity. But, you know, when people rise up against adversity, you know, you, you feel like champions. But that success, and I mean, look at it from more of an outside point of view when you go to work and you have success at work you know how do you continue to sustain it you don't Mm -hmm. keep doing the same things you have to find new ways to challenge yourself and do that and you know this team has certainly seen its bit of adversity this season and you know yeah I still think that they've got 
at least one more game in them that uh, that, that they're going to be really up for. Um, I'm not saying that the bowl game they wouldn't be up for, but mm-hmm. you know, certainly it's going to be more of a sigh of relief after Friday. Right. So with that, and based on what you've said, I want to go on to my second thought for this, which is, you know, UTSA has had issues handling success. Obviously, based on this game, we saw it last season, you know, again, the same weekend. But, you know, UTEP had difficulties handling success within the game. Right. You know, uh, our friend Big Brown sat next to us, leaned over at one point and said, hey, look, you know, this kind of reminds me of the UT game. Where, like, UTSA shot at shot and then kind of fizzled away. And, mm-hmm. and really, it felt like the same thing from UTEP. It's like, they just, it's hard being a UTEP fan. I said it before. Like, you know, they're, when they said it's Jekyll and Hyde, I didn't realize just how Jekyll and Hyde it could be. We because, saw it within one game. Yeah. You know, I think they were talking about game to game, but we sort of saw this within that one game. There was a couple um, sitting next to me during the game, which is, there were UTEP fans. And... It was kind of funny because she wasn't getting too high, but she also wasn't getting too low. Uh, and when I say getting too low, it's because, I mean, there really wasn't much low to get to. But as the game went on, as, you know, everything was happening, I was like, at one point, you know, I leaned over to you guys and I was like, you know, I think we're going to, I think we may pull this off. I was like, I think Utah's going to lose. I muttered really under my breath. I think she heard me. And she said to her husband, yeah, we're going to lose. And... At the very end of the game, near the end of the game, when they didn't get that, um, I think it was, I think they got the interception mm-hmm. um, when Clifford Chapman went up for that one. I want to say that that's when they left. Yeah. <laughs> and then we did not see them the rest of the game. Um, and I guess that's what it feels like to be a UTEP fan. Like, it just, mm-hmm. and I, I think, you know, UTSA has been there before. Like, I, I don't want to minimize that at all. But, um, you know, I still think Dana Dimmel deserves every bit of criticism for how the way he handled this team in the second half. Yeah. You know, um, look. He mentioned that Calvin Brownholtz tore his hamstring on that big quarterback run. That was the 44-yard run. And it eliminated these quarterback scrambles and rushing. But Dana Dimmel is the offensive coordinator. And he just looked clueless in terms of how to adjust. Right. You've got, you know, I mentioned Ronald Awat, Deion Hankins as these terrific running backs. And they were gashing us. And then you also had Ray Flores, who I talked about being a wide receiver, but... He honestly played both positions, and mm-hmm. he did really well not only going in Wildcat, but also taking handoffs and rushing the ball. He was a physical guy. And, you know, I think he was a former walk-on. So, you know, that made it, I think, a little bit more important for UTEP, too. But, you know, it's it's that moment of you're letting a walk-on just rush and gash all over you. Right. To me, there were things that UTEP could have done, but it just felt like Dimmel had excuses. And I'll go into that a little bit later. But my last thought for you, did you notice how cocky and how much swagger UTEP played with? Yeah. Like, you know, it felt like they were the team that was like 10, you know, going to be going on 10 and 2 as opposed to UTSA. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts on that? You know, like I said in the recap, you know, that moment when Brownholt sort of backs his way and like shuffles into the end zone and they're kind of taunting the students it was like, Part of me was, you know, this is the low. But then there was also that part of me that just flashed back to North Texas celebrating when they thought they had the fourth down stop and they were going to win the game. And UTSA, you know, turns on a dime and, you know, continues down the field and scores and wins. And so, you know, you just, it was like that moment. And then combine that with Gavin's injury where I think the team was like, all right, we're going to stop playing with our food and we're going to, you know, move on and we're going to win this game. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> stop playing with our food. Because as a note, you know, once that injury to Gavin occurred, UTC outscored UTEP yeah. 34 to 7 the rest of the way. A lot of pivotal moments, a lot of times that UTEP could have put it away, but they didn't. But yeah, you know, I wanted to mention the taunting of the end zones because UTEP players are doing that. Both end zones, uh, you know, and I felt like, wow, like you're you're stirring up the, the tiger, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only are you like doing that in front of like UTSA, but to stir up the crowd. Yeah, you do realize this is a bigger crowd than what you're used to playing in front of. 
But I want to go to a, a quote from Michael Jordan and his last little doc, The Last Dance, because I thought it was important because um, you talked about Brown Holtz kind of, you know, waltzing into the end zone. But before that, he had thrown a touchdown pass and he came in the sideline. And since we sit on the, you know, on, on the visiting sideline, he was going around saying, this is my house. This is my house. And I was like, why? Like, why are you? I get it. This is your probably your last college game. But why are you doing that? Especially when the fans are just going to get more riled up. And you get them more riled up, that means more crowd noise. So let me just give you this. Michael Jordan, what he said. Let's see if all that trash talking starts when it's 0-0 instead of a 5-6 to six point lead. That's where it starts. That's a sign of a good man. If he can talk stuff when it's, when it's even score or talk stuff when you're behind. When you're ahead, it's easy to talk. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. It certainly was easy for them. But I really reveled in a disappointed look on their face as Sackett kicked that essentially winning field goal. Mm-hmm. And they realized that this is it. They will not be going anywhere. The only place they're going is back to El Paso. And they're going to be welcoming guests into the Sun Bowl because of the bowl game. Yeah. They will not be going anywhere. I have never been a... I hate UTEP or anything kind of guy in terms of a rival. Certainly I come off of it a little bit, but I like the fact that UTSA just ripped their effing hearts out and said, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, there are moments and there are people on the UTSA team that get chippy and, you know, you know who they are. They get personal fouls, you know, during the game, they get a little heated. Um, But for the most part, you know, we don't have that reputation. I mean, we say 2-0 nasty, but we really don't have that reputation of being, you know, nasty or ugly or whatever in the field. And, you know, then you have reports like the one we got after the game where J.J. Perez tweeted out that one of the UTEP players punched a UTSA player after the game. You know, we don't know who the UTEP player was. He didn't say who the UTSA player was, although it's been reported that it was Walker Beatty that got punched. And, you know, you just hear about those things and it's like it's just sad you know that that's how the team responds you know it's like look you shouldn't have gotten that cocky during the game you were playing a really good team you got put back in your place but there's just some things that are unnecessary like I said UTEP coming in like they've won nine games and they haven't it's been a long time since they've been that successful Mm -hmm. so to your point to act like you know get so upset and to end up just like punching someone at that point you know what you deserve to go home right i mean if you can't if you can't stand there after you've blown a lead and just accept what occurred life's going to be tough for you i hope you enjoy watching the bowl games on tv yeah this bowl game season speaking of kind of conspiracies at times it did seem like utep had a 12th man on the field <laughs> the refs There are some questionable calls and no calls. I mean, there were some that were obviously good, fine, whatever. But that holding call on Lamont McDougal, I don't remember exactly where it was, but it was just ridiculous. He wasn't holding. And then you had all of these no calls against UTEP for holding. I mean, there was a reason at times that they were winning in the trenches because their offensive line was holding our defensive line. And then you have the no-call pass interference, or offensive pass interference in the fourth quarter against Mayfield. I mean, there are just, there are these moments where it was like, okay, are you are you trying to help them out? Or what's going on here? We rarely talk about refs, but yeah, I mean, it, it felt like CUSA was trying to stick it to us one last time. Yeah. I mean, they didn't really need to because I felt like UTEP had come out and had the right game plan. You know, I, I will give Dimmel credit here. They had the right game plan, and they came out with the right attitude on both lines. Mm-hmm. And I'll go a little bit deeper into it as we talk about the offense and defense. But certainly, it did help that they were able to, you know, clutch on a little bit longer or tackle some of our, yeah. you know, especially defensive line. You know, I think just to add a little bit more to that, yeah, I think you, you're you going to go back and look at this game, and we did that rewatch, and... There were some moments where it was just, it really was tough to watch because it felt like this team was undisciplined at times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, 
we've gone back and forth at times talking about the defense and you know our defensive coordinator uh, but certainly you know I guess when you're not ready to play it's and you're not really to me giving the full effort it's harder to correct those mistakes than it mm-hmm. is when you're giving full effort and even if you're too aggressive and you go out and you make a bad mistake it's so much easier to correct that than it is like going half speed and you're just making mistake after mistake and Certainly, it looked like we were sleepwalking that first. Oh yeah, I mean, first quarter and a half. I went through two major swings of emotion that brought <laughs> to mind two very different games. But I will say, you did not get a high heart alert this game, which was odd. That I told you about. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so the beginning of the game was like having a flashback to the UTEP game in 2014 where we lost, I think it was 34-0, to zero, which prior to this game felt like just the worst offensive and defensive performance I've seen as a whole from UTSA. So, you know, you kind of went from that emotion to, oh, wow, I'm feeling like this is shades of the Memphis game. And then we basically had a walk-off field goal at the end. I mean, there were three seconds left and uh, right. versus the one, you know, zero seconds in Memphis, but it was like this huge sway of emotions. You know, it's, you know, it's been talked about to death about the fact that, you know, UTSA has seemed to succeed in one-score games. Um, but as much as I scoff at that at times, like, okay, yeah, yeah, they play close games, but it's because they're just, it's the coaching, right? Mm-hmm. That experience, certainly against lesser teams, it helps. Because here, again, we go back to what we started with, handling success, right? UTSA did not have success. They were battling through adversity, those two big injuries, and all of a sudden, like, you know, they start surging forward, like you said. And then UTEP just kind of falls off the edge. They can't handle success. They've never been there before. They don't know how to win or to close out games. And that's part of the lack of their culture on their team. So it ends up just kind of really coming full circle. And, you know, I know for us fans, it gets frustrating. But, you know, I think it's fortunate that this UTSA team has been in these situations. Because they certainly played like they knew exactly what they needed to do. And they did. Yeah. Well, before we move on to talking about special teams, there are several reasons why this was a notable game for UTSA. So some of them we've already mentioned, but I think it just bears repeating. Sure. First of all, biggest comeback in school history. First time we went undefeated in conference play in Conference USA. First time we beat the Texas Triangle, North Texas, Rice, and UTEP. Also the last opportunity to do that and go undefeated in in Conference USA play. Right. Second time that we won 10 wins in a season. Eighth time we beat UTEP, sixth win in a row over UTEP. Um, UTSA played its first conference game as a member of Conference USA against UTEP, September 21st, 2013, and then ended its regular season play in Conference USA against UTEP. So kind of nice little bookend to the season there. Absolutely. All right, let's go to the special teams review. You know, I don't think we have too much here, but let's talk real quick about Jared Sackett. Because I think you've got some uh, facts for us. Yeah, with the field goal that um, Jared made in this, well, the two field goals that Jared made in this game, he now holds the record for, or the career record for made field goals at UTSA. His 51-yard field goal um, tied his career and is the second longest field goal in school history. So, you know, Jared kind of gets to bookend his career again, you know, with, all of this success. So, you know, and he's had, what, four weeks that he's been the Conference USA Special Teams Player of the Week. So it's got to be good for him, you know, having left a team at UTSA that was not successful and looking like it wasn't on the right path, really kind of having this sort of career that was, you know, up and down and not finding probably what he was looking for when he left to being able to come back finish off his super senior season, break these records back at UTSA. It's got to be, you know, something that really makes him feel like he's putting that right into his career. 
That, that's really a fair point. I mean, look, we, we could nitpick the fact that he missed that first field goal pretty badly. Yeah. Which, by the way, from our seats, it did not look that bad. But then when we saw the replay, I was like, ooh, yeah. okay, that was a tough one. But here's the deal. And it, I think you were correct in saying that he's able to come back and find success. But he found success because his coach believes in him. Mm-hmm. Trailer really had, I think, no reason to just completely believe in him. But because he kind of knew him, because he knew he really knows how to motivate, and I think he really knows how to coach up players. I, you know, Jared had the really the confidence to go out there and just nail those last two. He could have missed the fifty-one yarder, and then what was it the twenty-eight yarder to win the game? Mm-hmm. Instead, took deep breaths and gave him that final shot and said, "Win it for us," and win it he did. Because absolutely nobody wanted to go to overtime. Including me. <laughs> you didn't want to go five overtimes like uh, I know. No, <laughs> back in 2016. That would have been a whole a whole other... Yeah, we would have gone from two different um, UTEP bad memories. I don't know that you would have stayed in the stands with, with Big Brown and me. No, probably not. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the offensive review. We'll start with the keys to victory. Uh, you know, I said keep the tempo high because UTEP has struggled against up-tempo teams. And they certainly did. Um, the problem was that early on, because the offense was sputtering, they really couldn't get in that rhythm or that tempo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it didn't give UTEP fits until later in the game. And I I was... <laughs> I'll hold off on saying what I was about to say, but the second thing was take deep ball chances. This is where I think I'm struggling when I was going to say just a couple seconds ago, UTEP decided to blitz Frank a lot and go man-to-man on the wide receivers. Certainly a bold strategy, and it did not pay off for them, in my opinion. (laughs) They were aggressive, and they needed to come out and be aggressive. And that is all fair. But when you don't have the secondary to do it, your linebackers and line have to get to Frank every single time. And early on, they they had the success, hence Mm -hmm. why they got up 24-0. But at some point... You need to start giving multiple looks and be able to call off the dogs a little to mm-hmm. be able to manage the game. And Dimmel did not. Neither did he tell his defensive coordinator, Pavetto, to stop blitzing. Instead, they kept doing the same thing. And it just felt like something we talked about before. It's, I forget the quote, but it's like, you know, what what is the... Uh, Definition think, of insanity. Yes. The same thing over and over again. Yeah. They did it over and over thinking, we'll get to him. We'll get to Frank no matter what. And they weren't getting there, and they were leaving cornerbacks just by themselves on islands. And, you know, you talked about the three wide receivers getting touchdowns. Cephas going almost, and maybe should have been flagged. Again, a no call that I think was benefited by UTSA, as he looked like he started going towards the line of scrimmage at the very end of him going in motion. But him looking like he's about to go block and then just taking off. Mm-hmm. The cornerbacks were just left right there just in an yeah. island. 65 yards downfield. And then Zakari kept being left one-on-one, which honestly surprised me. So it's like, if why? why? Yeah. <laughs> North Texas, I think, has better cornerbacks, way better cornerbacks than, you know, UTEP does. And North Texas isn't dumb enough to do that. I don't understand what... Why, again, the ins- the definition of insanity, as you just said. Yeah, doing the same thing over, expecting a different result. And then Taiki. My man is, what, 6'4", 6'5", mm-hmm. something like that. And the quarterback that was guarding him was much shorter. Right. It kind of looked like me trying to guard Taiki. And to be honest with you, UTEP might have had better, better hope with me guarding him because... <laughs> That cornerback just kept getting burned. And I think, I felt like at times, Frank maybe took a little bit of pity on him. But, <clears throat> you know, I don't understand why they kept, you know, Taiki stepped up, mm-hmm. first of all. Second of all, why they kept allowing that to go happen over and over. You know, again, just like I said, I, you're doing the same thing over and over. Do you think that Frank's not going to notice this? Do you think that Frank is is a freshman starter? He's not. So... They punched us in the mouth. Um, this offensive line was getting dominated by that UTEP defensive line. And, you know, to in my opinion, the UTEP defensive line won the game if you were going just, mm-hmm. you know, UTEP defensive line versus UTSA offensive line. And we saw it through the PFF scores. Um, you said that Terrell Haynes and Venley Tatafu 
their PFF scores were terrible, and they, they yeah. were. They were really bad scores. But once Walker Beatty and Payne Hebert came in to replace them, yeah, it was a it was night and day. I mean, the pass blocking scores for Terrell and Vinley, you know, obviously they're still shaking off some cobwebs. I mean, they were very very low, and it was just eye opening to see the significant difference between Walker Beatty and Payne Hebert and Terrell Haynes and and Vinley Tadafu. And so I was kind of surprised that Trailer left them out there as long as he did, but. You know, I know he doesn't really like to shake up things on the O-line, but at some point, you know, you kind of had to wonder, look, they're not playing well. You know, why are you continuing to leave them out there? Maybe they need some, you know, rest sooner. He always talks about the fact that uh, the, the best way to motivate is to put guys in the pine. Mm-hmm. So going back to what you just said, the best way to motivate both those guys that were struggling, put them on the pine. Well, yeah, and, and probably part of the reason they weren't doing so well is because they're still coming back from injury, you know? So right. you know that. I mean, again, it's not just because they're having a bad day, you know? So, I mean, he obviously did make the switch, um, but it looked like, I think, um, the two had somewhere around maybe 16 snaps. So it... it likely was either late in the game. I mean, I I couldn't tell you exactly when they switched, but it was either late in the game or, you know, somewhere where it kind of became sort of intermittent. But, yeah, Beatty and and Ebert had 17 snaps each. Should have, it might have helped if if they would have come in sooner. And really, this uh, UTSA offense only had like 52 snaps. So, you know... Yeah. They did go big play. So, you know, that, that kind of played into it. But, you know, to your point, I thought Walker Beatty just played really well. Yeah. I think, you know, that it's weird thinking back again, you know, just to reiterate that he was defensive lineman to begin the year, and now he's filled in the left tackle spot, and he looks... Like he belongs, absolutely. Yeah, like like we've been... It's, he's been the missing piece forever. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's obviously great... To have him, you know, really develop in this way, but also to step up even in this big game at a tough moment where the offense is struggling, and here yeah. he comes in and he takes care of business. Yeah, it was interesting to go back and look at the stats for the offense. We managed to get 458 yards of offense, 382 yards passing, 76 yards rushing. That was our lowest rushing yards all season. I think it's the only game we've had below 100 yards. Obviously, Brady getting hurt didn't help. And it seemed like at times Kavorian had some decent runs, but then I think he only had 55 yards at the end of the game. So it was just um, interesting to see that after, you know, game after game after game where we really had started to build up our run game, we were getting consistently over 200 yards, much more balanced offense you know, that this game was kind of the complete opposite. We went back to pass heavy, but that's what we needed to do to win. And the great thing is we have that ability to do that. Absolutely. I mean, look, the last few teams have don't didn't really necessarily have that, that front seven. I, I talked about in the preview how this front seven for UTEP was talented. So it, it felt like they were really... Like, they're really wasting this defense mm-hmm. on just a bad offense. And, you know, th- this front seven really did cause a lot of havoc. Go back to another team that caused a lot of havoc. And I think you can say even bookend, Houston. Right. Houston caused a lot of havoc for this, you know, UTSA team. And they bottled up the run. That was our, honestly, our lowest rush total of the season. Until before, this Until game, this game. Yeah. And so it was only 104 yards against Houston. So... You know, I think that it was weird for UTSA to have to go back to that bombs away approach that they had last season. But you know, again, as I talked about, I don't understand why they just why UTEP kept leaving their corners and one on one coverage. But you know, that's what they decided to do, and that's exactly what UTSA took advantage of. Yeah, I mean, Frank had two clutch long passes: sixty-five yard touchdown pass to Cephas, and a seventy-yard touchdown pass to Taiki. That 70-yard touchdown pass to Taiki was the longest completion of Frank's career. And, you know, until you had talked about that, you had told me that, like, before we were, you know, kind of doing the notes for this pod, 
I thought it was the Cephas catch, but then I just, to be honest with you. I mean, 65 versus 70 yards from the, <laughs> from the stands, it's kind of hard to tell the difference. Well, that, and, like, you've seen so many moments from Frank where he has bombed away that mm-hmm. you just kind of, like, everything just seems long at that moment. Even if it was just a 14-yard touchdown pass like Sakari caught, it all seems, like, long, and, you know. Yeah. There's just so many brilliant moments from Frank that it was terrific to see him uh, come back and he lead av- this team. Yeah, after. he averaged 23.9 yards per completion in the game. The most yards per completion in school history, beating the previous record held by Dalton Sturm, who had averaged 21 yards per game against Rice back in 2015. Interesting. The great thing about this young program is that we get to like quote all of these career stats or best game of the season <laughs> stats. You know, they just keep coming and coming. That is a fun part. And, you know, it is something, you know, that they use for recruits. So, Absolutely. Um, with that, let's talk about the offensive player of the game. It's Taiki Ogle Kellogg. Four catches, 142 yards. Had the one touchdown. Obviously, the one you talked about was a 70-yard touchdown catch. You know, we, we've been wondering. JT got injured for the you know for the season, and so it was like, well, Taiki's gonna have to come up, you know, step up, and he did. Yeah, it was interesting to hear Frank's post-game comments about him. He said. Tyke's always been able to do those things. It's about time that he showed up. He said he's like a little brother to him and that he holds him to a very high standard. So it was interesting to hear, you know, Frank and the way that he talks about, you know, Tyke and their relationship. And, you know, I, it's I'm just glad that he was able to have that moment too. Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously, you know, we've been hoping that Tyke could actually get to his potential. And trailers talked about it before, but it's also just good to have the guy just have a good, great moment at a crucial time. There's yeah. another opportunity to have more crucial moments coming up in the championship game. With that, let's go off to the defense. Um, keys to the victory. I talked about stopping the run because neither quarterback is a proficient passer. I didn't know who was going to start, whether it was going to be Gavin Hardison or Calvin Brownholtz. Well, I talked about Calvin Brownholtz and I said, hey, look, he's a scrambler. He can move around. He did that against Rice and you know, almost pulled off that win. Well, he gashed us quite a bit, as did the entire running game, because honestly, this UTEP offense got quite dynamic when they came out with Brown Holtz at quarterback. You know, I kind of said, oh, he's a poor man's Dalton Sturm. And honestly, he played like a poor man's Dalton Sturm. There was a lot of, a lot of plays that were called for him where it was clearly suited to his abilities and because of it that's where UTEP really took advantage of this UTSA defense um the other thing was watch out for play action (laughs) we got burned (laughs) a few times on the play action uh one of them was for a touchdown there was other few big gains but again what it really comes down to is the fact that UTEP was never really able to be consistent on offense and Mm -hmm. that has always been what's held them back in the Dana Dimmel era and I still think that the, even though we talked about UTEP offensive line was holding UTSA's defensive line quite a bit, I still felt like the their offensive line, which I said was solid, they were able to be more physical than the UTSA front seven, to be honest. And that's why UTEP really was able to control the game early on. After you know that Gavin Sharp injury, it really came down to the fact that UTEP just couldn't Really, I'd I'd say execute at a high level and mm-hmm. continue executing at the high level that they had already set um, in terms of their standards beginning of the game, and because of that, I felt like that that's really why they fell apart. Because honestly, I gave you two reason two keys to victory here, and both were failed by the defense. Right. So, I mean, if I told you that prior to the game, would you have thought that UTSA wins? No. And, you know, there were a couple of moments where I thought Brown Holtz had some very smart plays where you could see him hiding behind his O-line, waiting very patiently for an opening. And then as soon as that opening came, man, he hit it. And, you know, I thought a couple of times, like, It'd be interesting to see Frank do something like that because, you know, he can accelerate quite a bit. Usually Frank even when he has those quarterback designed plays, you know, he's not kind of sitting back waiting. He's taking the ball and taking off. So it'd kind of be interesting to see something like that in our offense with Frank, because I think he could 
really take off in those moments. It was very K-State-ish mm-hmm. because that's exactly right. what Kansas State used to run because Dana Dimmel was their offensive coordinator. Right. But these aren't the plays that they were running under Gavin Hardison. Yeah. And I'll ask you the question later, but I think that, you know, this UTSA defense had Brown Holtz not torn the hamstring and been able to scramble around a little bit more. I don't know that this outcome stays the same. Mm-hmm. Now, UTSA had some leeway here. They didn't have to win the game, but let's be honest, uh, this was something that they, I think, really wanted to close out, like, undefeated. And, you know, I just go back to this just left defense at times being frustrated. I mean, they're so talented, you know, and, and aggressive, but at times so undisciplined because they were getting caught, like I said, in terms of the play-action pass. Um, there was a point where uh, their fullback, um, <laughs> on a play-action pass, Nick Troy Fortune tried to hand off, it looked like hand off to one of the uh, uh, safeties, and the safety was coming up to stop the run. I don't know what defense he was playing, but again, right. it goes back to the fact that You've got cornerbacks and safeties not on the same page, and that's just Lepp's area. Now, it's also Nick Graham's area, but those two have to figure out how to get this done because it's, I mean, it's just happened way too many times, and I think we've talked about it to death, but this is a similar offense that we're going to see with North Texas, and we saw how North Texas took advantage, you know, of this UTSA defense going full out to stop the run. Mm Mm-hmm. They cannot get fooled by play action. I and I'm not saying that it's easy to play defense, but a little more discipline here, and you know, a little more game study will tell you. Yeah, you want to get full effort, but again, be smart about how you approach the game. Right. Let's go to our defensive player of the game. For me, it was DeAdrian Taylor. I thought again, you know, we've talked about like he's kind of the heart and soul of this defense. After Rashad went out, he's been the guy, and it was feared when he since he got injured against uh, Texas, that it might be for the season. Right. I'm going to say that I'm glad that it wasn't season-ending injury because um, he recorded three tackles, all solo, but that pick six that he had, that 73-yarder, he also forced a fumble, but that 73-yard pick six was crucial because, again, we talked about the fact that UTEP was starting to drive again. They had Mm -hmm. gotten into the red zone, or starting to get into the red zone, and Dejan just stands there, catches the ball, which again, which is the biggest thing. But the next biggest thing after that was the fact that his defense essentially cleared the way, and he followed all the blocks. I mean, he did play offense before, so yeah. I mean, that is the advantage of playing in Shriner, Texas, or Shriner, Texas. That he, you know, he got to play probably every position at some point in time. Followed his blocks into the end zone. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I thought he really played a good game. Uh, I think he wrecked some havoc. So, yep, that's my guy. And that third career pick six for Dadrian um, now gives him the career record for pick six returns at UTSA. He has three of them. Um, the other two were against Texas A&M in 2019 and Louisiana Tech in 2021. It was also the second longest play by a roadrunner this season behind Chris Carpenter's 99-yard kickoff return. All right, so what did we learn from the game? So I made this offhand remark in terms of the preview of UTEP when I said, oh, to me, coaching matters, and that's mm-hmm. and Trailer is the better coach. Let's look at some of these things. Trailer gets that halftime speech, which they talk about being... Unique. There you go. He doesn't do it every single game. But he knows when to pull unique speeches <laughs> at halftime and mm-hmm. when not to. And that's what I've seen from most successful coaches is, you know, you don't always get on the guys. You figure out how to do what you do. Second, once again, you see his time management. He had all of his timeouts essentially <laughs> near the end of the game. Mm-hmm. We'll get to how that was crucial. And then, honestly... The way he he manages the game in terms of seeing that two of his offensive linemen aren't playing well, and we talked about during the offensive review that he switches them out and says, oh, "I'm going with these two other guys." Mm-hmm. What head coach does that? Like he's talked, you kind of alluded to it. He talks about the fact that he wants continuity with the offensive linemen. He doesn't want to be like you know rotating guys in and out. Yet he goes in and does it because it's going to give his team the best chance to win. 
it's easy when you say it like that, but how many coaches actually do it? Right. And certainly we nitpicked when he did it, but you know, he did. Sure. He made the adjustment. And you know, I often say, well, that's, that's why they paid, pay their big bucks. And I can't say enough stuff about trailer as much as, you know, we like to nitpick him. There are certainly plenty of of his attributes that you can see of why Dr. Campos had to have seen something in him as a head coach mm-hmm. when she interviewed him. There's certainly ways, you know, you talk about the culture, you talk about all these other stuff, but when I see him manage a game, I never feel like I have to question when he's taken a timeout, when he's done certain things. You know, earlier in the se- in the season, we kind of questioned some of the times because it was so odd that he was yeah. doing some of the things he was doing, but I think that really related more to the the staff adjustment, you know, in hindsight, because he had so many coordinators and assistants kind of changing roles, that first game, there were some growing pains there. Fantastic point, because I wanted to ask you is, do you think that's what it alluded to? Mm -hmm. So I think the second thing there, though, is just, this is what UTSA has needed for a long time, a coach that can see the big picture, that can go to the games and say, this is how we're going to play the game, and these are the adjustments. If we need to make them, this is what we're going to have to do. And not complain afterwards about, oh, the bounce, the brakes just didn't come our way. Right. I say that because the next thing I think we learned is from a UTEP fan perspective, what, what do you make of Dana Dimmel? Look, he used all of his timeouts in the second half with 10 minutes left in the game. Right. Ten minutes left in the game. Your offense has been struggling. I get Calvin Brown holds, tore his hamstring. Hey, he looked like he was moving around, though. So I get that he couldn't rush the ball. But you could have made adjustments, and you didn't. Yet, you go right across the field, and just like I talked about, Trailer takes out the whole, was it, left side of his offensive line and puts in a new, two new offensive linemen. The second thing I'm going to go here with Dana Dimmel is, did he make a mistake? not having Calvin Brownholtz as a starter the entire season. I mean, this offense looks dynamic. Yeah. I mean, I would say, in hindsight, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting about comparing Dimmel to Trailer, you know, again, maybe Brownholtz had terrible practices at the beginning of the season. Maybe there were things that, you know, we obviously don't know that were happening behind the scenes. But to me, Dimmel put... Hardison into an offense that maybe wasn't 100% suited for him. It seemed like this offense really was better suited for someone like Brownholtz. And if you take that and then compare it or contrast it, I should say, with what Trailer did, where, you know, when he came to UTSA, I don't think Frank Harris was the quarterback he had in his mind in terms of what he wanted for the offense. And I say that because he recruited... Josh Adkins. Yeah, he recruited Josh Adkins, who obviously is a different type of player. So to me, it tells me he's looking more, you know, Josh Adkins, Eddie Lee. They're more pocket passers. But he had Frank. And he had issues on his offensive line. And he needed that mobile quarterback who could scramble. And so instead of being stubborn and putting that, you know, Josh Adkins there, I mean, obviously he he put him into play, he got hurt. But instead of being stubborn and trying to just continue to build that offense around what he wanted, he said, look, I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to figure out how to make it work. And at the end of the day, Frank flourished in that. UTSA flourished in that. And Trailer probably has changed some of his perspective. You know, who knows what the quarterback of the future was going to look like? Because, again, we'll get to it in a second. We don't know what Frank's, you know, future is going to be. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, really what Trailer does with the offense, you know, when he has his recruits. But, again, if he would have just stuck to his, like, this is the offense I want to run, I don't think he would be successful. And you see... I think that's what Dimmel did. Instead of saying, look, Gavin Hardison, if he really was the better option between the two preseason, build your offense around him to make him a shining star. And that's not what he did. They just, 
they a didn't really have the wide receivers, but two, he's not mobile, right? And so you're limited in what you can do with him. Mm-hmm. We talked about the K State type offense where you said, "Oh, that'd be kind of cool for Frank to do, right? Like hide behind the offensive line, then like take off." And I said, "Oh yeah, that was totally K State stuff." Brownholtz did it easily. He's Every, very natural. Like, yeah, like any K State quarterback I've ever seen, and. Early on, UTEP, Dana Dimmel had a quarterback similar to that. And so, yeah, switching to Hardison was just odd because I think he's just in love with that big arm. Mm-hmm. But I've talked about how the big arm is not accurate, how he just isn't a very good passer, doesn't really have that kind of pocket sense. It's baffling to me. But you know what? That's for you. And that's why I think UTEP fans are, are frustrated. But. Let me, I'm going to ask this as from a YouTube fan perspective is, is it time up, is time up for Dana Dimmel? Because his post-game presser, excuse me, that's a tongue, tongue tied there. Post-game presser sounded like he was never at fault for anything. For Mm -hmm. every quote that he said is an excuse about something. He does not take any sort of accountability. Contrast that to UTSA's coach, Jeff Trailer. What does Jeff Trailer always do at his post-game pressers? That's on me as a head coach. I need to prepare them better. I need to do this. I need to do this for my team. I need to do this. I didn't do this for my team. I didn't put them in a great situation. I didn't do... He always takes accountability. And if you're always... Let me back up. As a UTSA fan, you could talk about... You you could use it for anything, but you can talk about death, taxes, and... Jeff Trailer taking accountability for any sort of mistake after any of the games that UTSA plays. I thought for a second there you were going to go with the death taxes and Rick Stock still getting a one-year contract extension. Well, we could do that too, right? We'll but that. yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. But I'm using that line simply because that's exactly what you know he's going to say. So I was really intrigued when I saw that Dimmel did not ever do that, and for a veteran head coach. It goes back to that stubbornness that I think mm-hmm. you talked about. Let me give you this first quote. It was about UTSA's offense. We out-physicaled them. They just threw some balls over the top. That's their offense. They just threw it over the top. Does that sound like a man that knows how to win a game? No. And you know what? Yeah, of course they threw it over the top. Have you watched this offense? Have you Thank seen you. Frank Harris and the the wide receivers? I mean, granted, we have you know, Tyke instead of JT, but he made some pretty impressive catches. We went, we spoke really or discussed at length just a little while ago about the fact that, you know, what the, you know, definition of insanity. insanity is. That right there tells you, I don't know how to win because I'm going to keep doing the same thing. And it speaks to the stubbornness that you were talking about. I, I don't know. I was frustrated just from the UTEP, UTEP fan perspective. I'm not even a UTEP fan. But I also enjoyed the fact that he blamed UTSA playing music over the loudspeaker between plays, which in his opinion was illegal. But I went back to look for the rules. I said, I've got to figure out, is he right? Because we've been doing a lot of this throughout the season. And Texas did it when we went up to watch the game in Austin. But here's the rule, that the only rule that I could find. It was updated in 2021. Artificial crowd noise by conference policy or mutual consent of the institutions is allowed. The noise level must be consistent throughout the game for both teams. However, all current rules remain in effect dealing with bands, music, and other sounds. When the snap is imminent, the band slash music must stop playing. We had to rewatch this game because that's just how we prepare for this pod. But I told you, let's listen to see if the band... The music was playing close to the snap. And it wasn't. Now, Demo also mentioned that they were playing during the huddle, and that's why Brownholtz had some issues. Well, again, this rule doesn't say you can't play music when the offense is huddling. It says you have to stop when the snap is imminent. And by the time they were on the line of scrimmage, the music had stopped. I go back to, once again, a man that is stubborn and did not seem to prepare for a trip to the Dome. Yeah, and honestly, just sounds like somebody who's trying to justify why he shouldn't be fired. I don't think he gets fired, but 
those answers alone as an AD would tell me you are not the guy. And mm-hmm. I've talked already before that I don't think Dimmel's the guy. He only really had one successful coaching stint, and that was at Wyoming. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to giggle thinking about Wyoming <laughs> as successful. Uh, but then he went to Houston and then just bombed. He went back to K-State, and then he got the UTEP job. I think it's time to make a change at UTEP. And I think they need to do it in order to actually uh, compete in Conference USA. Because even just listening to UTEP fans, hearing how some of them were talking at the game, they were excited that they were up, but they also knew that the bottom could fall out at any moment. And it did. It did, yeah. All right, so moving on from that. Um, we also learned this week some of the seniors who plan to come back. Um, so Trailer said that the seniors who did not take part in Senior Day had committed to returning next year. Some of those notable names include Ernesto Almaraz, uh, Trumaine Bell, Josh Cephas, Nick Troy Fortune, Makai Hart, Brandon Matterson, Taiki Ogle-Kellogg, and Rashad Wisdom. Makai, Brandon, and Rashad had also already said that they were going to come back. Those that did participate in Senior Day, you know, that doesn't mean they're not going to come back unless they're obviously out of eligibility. Um, it just means that they haven't decided yet. A lot of them are waiting for their draft grades. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll hear more about that towards the end of the season. Frank's been very non-committal. It was interesting. He kind of started the season off making it sound like he was going to come back. Now he sounds a little, you know, back and forth. You know, I think one of the things that'll be interesting and that Greg Lucas shared when he did his wrap-up with um, JJ Perez was that because we're going into the American um, next season there may be more of a reason for some of these seniors to come back into their super senior season because you know I think they want that challenge of you know look probably unlikely that we'll be you know, going for a third conference championship game, not to say it's impossible, you never know what's going to happen, but I think there's that challenge of stepping up conferences, making that transition, having, you know, even a higher level of competition, and I think a lot of those seniors are motivated by that, particularly if they think, you know, maybe going into the NFL isn't going to work out, or they need more, you know, to, to prove that they can be a draft pick so I think it just kind of adds a, a, another element that wouldn't have been there, um, you know, if we were staying in Conference USA. Very well said. Very well said. My last question for you, or I guess I have two questions for you, but the first question for you is, you know, looking at the amount of injuries that we've sustained throughout the season and then knowing that we had Gavin Sharp and Brendan Brady injured in this game, are you concerned about the health of the team going into the championship game next week? The, uh, I mean, in some positions, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, running back is, you know, I don't know who else we got besides Justin Rodriguez. Is it Ty, Ty Edwards season again? I mean, Ty Edwards has played three games officially. Mm-hmm. He's got one more game, be- you know, before he can redshirt this season. Doesn't sound like he's going to come back. So they could play him in another game, which would be this championship game. What a way to like show essentially what kind of a, what type of player you are by playing mm-hmm. in this championship game and making an impact, uh, but kind of a, up to the coaching staff whether they trust him or not. Yeah, or do they go with what we saw last season, which was the sincere workhorse, and just put it all on Kavorian Barnes? It's it's certainly possible. Um, you know, I think tight ends. I'm not as I wouldn't say I'm as worried. Yeah, um, I mean, Gavin was the the third string. Yeah, uh, you know, again, still terrible to see, you know, his injury and him, mm-hmm. you know, essentially not getting to play in these last two games. Yeah, but you, you, some of the younger guys you could probably bring in to help out. Right. Now, the thing is, you're going to be asking for them to do it. If you're going to do it this next game, you're going to do it at, <laughs> at probably one of the most nerve-wracking games that they're going to play. Right. So, you know, there is that element, too. I, I just think that they, as long as they prepare, you know, it's like going into a test, right? Like, right. as long as you prepare for the test, you're going to have those jitters, but you should perform well. And I, I think, you know, in terms of what we've seen from this coaching staff, I, I don't, I think they'll be prepared. Um, so, you know, I, I just think running back is where the questions at. You know, 
can you get Corey and Barnes to, I hate to put it this way, the entire game healthy? Mm-hmm. Because after that, it gets really dicey in terms of running back depth. Right. All right, and my last question. UTSA was ranked number 23 in the AP, number 24 in the coaches poll. Will we be ranked in the college football playoff rankings? Asking me right now, I say no. I, I think, uh, you know, you can talk about the college football committee and what they are and what they're not. Uh, I'll say this. There is no formula. Mm-hmm. You know, you do your, like, performance appraisal for the year. You know exactly what you need to achieve or what the goals are in order to be, you know, get a, you know, uh, get rated a five or a four. You know, if those are the highest grades on your, on your performance appraisals. But... In terms of college football playoff, it, it's incredibly subjective. Right. So I, you know, I know that it wouldn't that it wouldn't be a big deal if they got UTSA in at number twenty five in terms of the way they may be seeing it. You know, UTSA fans would obviously you know be rejoicing. I, I mean, it's just what does it matter at this point? At this point, just you know, you're ranked over here in AP and coaches poll, and I think that really matters more than college football playoff. Yeah, I was honestly surprised to see us ranked in both of the polls after this game. I mean, while several teams above us did lose, my concern was that they were going to look at how we won this game and what it took and say, you know, and kind of dismiss basically the our achievement based on that. It really goes back to the fact that, look, you can diss the schedule, but... You can only play who you played, right? right and right. they've taken care of business, whether it's been a close game or not. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. All right, let's do our championship preview. This probably won't be too long because of the fact that, I, you know, we've obviously reviewed North Texas before. Right. And if you really want to, like, catch up on some of the key players from North Texas, I would say go back to one of our earlier episodes, episode 41, which was our FIU game review. Um, Because that has the bulk of the important players for North Texas um, and some of those keys at that time and matchups. I will say, with the win earlier in the season against North Texas, the series is tied (laughs) 5-5. Of course, right? Mm -hmm. Going into the championship game, it's of course it's going to be 5-5. And Seth Luttrell is now 4-3 against UTSA, 1-2 in the trailer era. After the the loss to UTSA, North Texas has gone 3-1. Um, they've kind of stumbled offensively in the last two games against UAB and Rice, you know, kind of putting up only 264 and 362 um, yards, respectively, but giving up 498 and 415. 415 to Rice. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's... Yeah. Meanwhile, UTSA has gone 4-0 and stayed pretty consistent on offense and defense. But you know what? Those stats mean absolutely nothing. Right. Because it's come down to this... One final game in Conference USA for both North Texas and UTSA. And Judy's got to be hating the fact that she's going to have to crown someone who's leaving. And I love the way you put it because since 2017, the CUSA champion has been won by a school going to the AAC next season. And obviously this one's not going to be any different because right. both North Texas and UTSA are will be in the AAC next year. Look, I'll give you these simple keys to victory because I think, you know, it really summarizes everything that needs to happen on both sides of the ball. But defensively, get off the field by limiting the third down conversions. UNT was 7 of 15 the first game on third down. What does it do? That means that, you know, we're, you know, we're limiting them staying on the field. And that, that's what's important here. If we can get the defense some rest, UTEP out played us in terms of offensive plays 72 to i believe it was either 72 to 52 or 78 to 52 it was quite a margin like Mm -hmm. we haven't really seen that from you know utsa uh, perspective most of this season so when it comes to north texas they're going to have a similar game plan to you know utep they're going to want to grind that clock and i think that's going to present them the best chance to win Uh, especially the fact that you know that they can hit some big plays. You know that they can do some some damage. Yeah, occasionally Austin Ani can throw. We learned that the hard way. <laughs> Look, you're, I will say this about Ani. UNT can criticize him all they want. 
but it's not like they have a Gavin Hardison. It's not like they have like you know some of these other bad CUSA quarterbacks. They've got a guy that can do the job, and mm-hmm. that's all that Seth Luttrell has asked of his UNT team. The other key to victory for this UTSA defense is tackle, 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 because that means that they're limiting that rush yardage and uh, going back to those big plays they're limiting big plays mm-hmm. big plays are going to happen that's just it's just the nature of the game the way it's so based offensively both teams can get away with some big plays but in limiting big plays from both teams you know this this game gets a little closer and you know i'm not going to like get too into it yet you know i'll give you some thoughts as i go into my way too early prediction but our offensive keys to victory I'm going to keep it simple. Just let Frank cook. Look, he just needs to be anything and everything for UTSA. And that's what he's been throughout his career. You talked about the fact that he hasn't made his decision. This could be the last time you see Frank Harris in a UTSA uniform in the Dome. We could go back and forth whether he will return for another season. But the reality is, this is the last time as a member of CUSA that Frank Harris will be suiting up at quarterback. So, you know, without, like, a backup running back that you can really talk to, like we just talked about right now in terms of some of those injuries, with some other things really affecting this team, it's Frank. Just give it to Frank and let him take this offense and let him do what he's done all season and lead this team to victory. So for my way to early prediction, look, much like UTSA, I'm 10-2 on my picks. So... (laughs) I'm pretty good. I haven't. I've been on a win streak for a while, so I'm just gonna say that. All right, since the Texas game, I've been on a win streak. So, you know, it, it's mirrored. You know, UTSA as well. To me, this is how it should be. You got rivals playing each other for supremacy of the of the conference. I know for you, it's gonna be nerve wracking because mm-hmm. of the fact it's North Texas and yep. just the amount of trouble they've given UTSA, including the game earlier this season. I expect another physical matchup with plenty of surprises from both teams. They're each going to take big swings at each other because, A, it's your rival, and, two, again, like I said, it's it's for the conference title. And it's the last time that they can say, either one of them can say they were in a conference, conference USA conference championship. Right. I believe UTSA's offense is going to start slow and then kick into gear by the second quarter. And this defense, I think, is going to come out fired up because of the dome noise from UTSA fans. But let's remember, because it's a championship game and it's probably one of the stupidest rules I've heard, but because we're hosting it, it's got to be neutral. So the announcer is not going to be able to either play music nor is he going to be able to egg on the crowd. So for all you UTSA fans that listen to this, you're going to have to pump up the noise. We have when, to be our own pillicillus. Yeah, when North Texas has the ball on offense. We're the ones that are going to have to ratchet up the noise. We're going to the ones that have to be doing that. I will real quick call out these two kids that were sitting in front of us during the UTEP (laughs) game that were doing just that. And I hope they're there again because if they are, they're going to fire up a lot of the adults that were around around our section because they were firing me up when they were doing that. I was like, (laughs) I'm not really a guy that's going to like make a lot of noise. I'll clap, but those two kids... I hope they're there and they put them on the big screen so they can fire us up. That's right. Look, it's what's been meant to be for the, since the beginning of this year, really for both teams. Both teams, I think, have been the two best teams in Conference USA these last two years. Give me UTSA 34-27 over UNT for the second straight CUSA championship. All right. Before we go, let's talk about what else happened in Conference USA this weekend. Obviously... We didn't say this, but you can figure it out by now. North Texas beat Rice 21 to 17. Rice had a shot to come through and give us Western Kentucky in that final instead and couldn't do it. Oh, Rice. But hey, you know what? They may end up being bowl eligible. So. Yeah, it looks like yeah, they have a pretty good chance because it doesn't look like enough teams are going to make it. Um, Army and I forgot what other school, but there's one other school that have six wins but there's two wins against fcs teams so unless they get waivers it looks like rice will go bowling so good for them good for them i mean i'm not sure who their quarterback's gonna be but 
Well, they started AJ Paget in this game, who's the the last quarterback that UTSA last man faced. Standing. Yeah, the last man standing for played against UTSA. But you know, um, the fact that he was able to put 17 points and put them in a position to potentially beat North Texas in Denton. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Yep. Uh, Western Kentucky beat FAU in overtime, 32 to 31, and then FAU fired their coach after the game. As would I if I lost to Western Kentucky because Western Kentucky has been trashed this season and their fans are thumping their chest again like, they're (laughs) awesome. No, you're not. Um, UAB beat La Tech 37-27 and achieved bowl eligibility. They're heading to the Bahamas, so you guys can check that bowl off your list if you're looking at the potential bowl sites that UTSA might go to. It's a shame. I would have liked to be at a... Bahamian Resort Beach. I know, but (laughs) But it's just not meant to be. I will say this about UAB. Good for them. They've been through a lot of adversity. You talked about it even when we did the the review that, you know, it kind of sucks that they don't know who their head coach is going to be. You know, that hasn't hasn't been resolved at all. So because of it, you know, again, good for them. They, They get to go and, you know, enjoy a beach and, you know, I think beat up a whoever shows up to play them. And then Middle Tennessee beat FIU 33-28. to <laughs> Middle Tennessee, yeah, just such an odd, odd school. And like we said earlier, death, taxes, and their coach getting a year extension. I mean, okay. I- I'm not sure that this season, I mean, outside of beating Miami, I'm not sure how this season warranted that. But, hey, whatever. And, and they get to stay in Conference USA. So maybe next year... I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll be the champions. Who knows? Uh, yeah. I, I thought I had words, but you know what? Let's just move on because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> on the basketball front, um, the women's team had a tough run in the Las Vegas Invitational. Um, they lost to Missouri State 74-51 and St. John 69-64. Their next game is against Texas State on Wednesday in San Marcos. So any of you that are able to maybe make it up to San Marcos, go out and support them. Then they'll go on their break for finals. Uh, They'll be back in the Convocation Center Saturday, December 10th against Idaho. Men's basketball team um, was off to their best start since, I think, 2010 with their win against Prairie View A&M, 82-75, and then Grambling happened. (laughs) Wow, UTSA started off poorly. But unlike the football team, they couldn't overcome that deficit and lost 75-55. I thought you were going to say, don't call it a comeback because there wasn't one. It was, it was not, <laughs> yeah. Um, followed that up Sunday with an overtime loss to Dartmouth, 78-77. to They will be back in action on Monday against UIW to wrap up the 2-1-0 San Antonio shootout. Likely this pod will drop after that result. So not sure what's going to happen. But they will also have a break um, for finals. Um, hopefully have a chance to regroup before their next game on December 10th against New Mexico. They really need it. I mean, they, again, keep falling back into bad habits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I get that you get an open three-point shot. But if you're not making it, like you got to try something new. Again, going back to the definition of insanity. Just keep shooting the three until I make it. Okay, great. But if you shoot shoot the team out of the game, then... <laughs> I get you went one for seven, but it was a that zero for six really killed the team. Whew. Well, on that note, that about wraps it up for us at the Hail Mary podcast. I'm May Toves. Now the Toves. We'll be back next week to recap our second championship win. Birds up.